the second week we talked about the multitude that uh, followed Christ and that sought after their uh, filling of their belly and Christ um, you know rebuked them uh, and so because they wanted more not because they cared about Christ but they were following him because they uh, they thought they hit the jackpot with just free food all the time right and so this week uh, it's the gospel reading begins rebuking those people saying uh, not to labor for the food which perishes, but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. And later on in the chapter, we learn that that food that God gives us, that uh, gives us to everlasting life, of course, is his body and, and blood. And this starts a very interesting dialogue with uh, him and the congreg- and like the multitude that he was preaching to, um, some of, uh, of those who followed him, even some of his disciples. So they asked him, how can they work the works of God? And if Christ can show them a sign similar to what Moses did in the Old Testament when, when God uh, allowed Moses to rain manna from heaven, right? So manna, this uh, type of bread uh, that was circular, came down from uh, the sky and uh, they were able to eat from it. And they said, hey, Moses did that for us. Can you do something similar? Not, you know, just forgetting what Christ just did with the five loaves and two fish. Slowly during the conversation, the Lord builds up the revelation about what the Eucharist is and and how important it is and how important the liturgy is. He says that the true manna uh, is the bread that comes down from heaven and that gives life to the world and that he is that bread of life. And it's very interesting to see people's reaction to this. They began to murmur among themselves, right? They didn't have enough courage to murmur in front of Christ, so they murmured among themselves. And they told each other, you know, we know this man. We know his parents, Mary and Joseph. We know he, where he's from. How is it that he says that I have come down from heaven? Uh, why does he say that? We know exactly where he comes from. Our Lord responds to this saying that no one can come to him unless the Father who sent him draws him. And he will raise him up in the last day. That those who come to the Lord are mysteriously guided by the Lord to, to himself and taught by the Father to come to him and to be led even into the heavenly Jerusalem. That he has come down from heaven to be the bread of life and to grant salvation and uh, nutrition, spiritual nutrition to everyone, yielding, of course, that eternal salvation to those who believe in him. This was enough to cause a lot of murmuring in the crowds. It was hard to understand. You know, this is a hard thing to understand with the mind that when Christ says, I have come down from heaven, and of course, that he is the bread of life. So then as the conversation continued, our Lord further emphasized that those who ate the manna died because, again, even though this uh, miracle um, appeared in a miraculous way that this bread came down from the sky, uh, it still was just regular bread and um, and it perished. But it was a symbol of something much greater. So even though it was given to them in this miraculous way, just like the feeding of the multitude just uh, uh, previously to that, shortly before this conversation with the five loaves and two fish, but that those who ate of, uh, of the true bread from heaven, which is himself, will have everlasting life. So he was making a contrast between the symbol and the reality, the shadow of the thing and the thing causing the shadow. And so he was telling them to focus on the things that are here in front of you now, the grace that you are receiving now. These things in the Old Testament were just shadows or they were pointing to something much bigger, which is unfolding before your very eyes. But this caused greater scandal among them. And they responded, how can they, this, first he says that he's come down from heaven. Now, how can he say that he's going to give us his flesh to eat? So what did our Lord do? Did he explain that he was just speaking? He said, wait, you misunderstand me. You're, you're, I'm speaking of symbols. I'm speaking of something that is symbolic. 
He doesn't do that. Most he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So he doubles down on the truth of the matter and grants greater revelation to those who are around him. Uh, this was the means to everlasting life, to be raised up in the last day. So he, he even goes on to say, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Again, our Lord knew their thoughts and could have said that this was just a symbol or some kind of allegorical way of thinking, but he, he tells them the truth in a very plain manner. And at this point, the scandal reaches its defining point. Many of his disciples, it says, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And later on, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more because of this uh, issue that uh, he brought up. The problem was that this group was looking at the matter in a very carnal way, in a very um, like a legalistic, materialistic way. Uh, they didn't look at the thing uh, that Christ was saying in spirit and in truth. And because they're only concerned with the natural world around them and the carnal world around them and not the spiritual world, they only saw with their fleshly eyes a man and not the creator of the universe that is the source of life, of course. In contrast, Christ turns around, it wasn't in today's reading, but later on in that same chapter, he turns around to the remaining disciples and says, do you also want to go away? He sees other, like some people who left him weren't just the multitude. They were disciples of his that ended up leaving Christ. So he turns to the remaining disciples and says, do you also want to go away? And St. Peter has a beautiful response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So St. Peter didn't say, well, no, in my logical mind, of course it makes sense that you're going to give us your flesh and, and blood to eat. It just makes total sense to me. You know, he didn't think with his mind and say, yes, of course, this is logical to me. I'm going to uh, follow these other guys just don't know how to think logically. Um, he doesn't say that, but he does say, to whom shall we go? We have come to believe that you are who you are. He says two things that are a model for us. First, St. Peter, speaking to, of course, speaking for the rest of the disciples too, confesses a complete trust in God. To whom shall we go? To whom else shall we go? It reminds me of Psalm 131, which we read in the 12th hour prayer before we sleep. The Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's also very similar to the Israelites after they departed Egypt, were led by the hand of God, as it were, like a mother leading their children. By night they were led by the fire, and by the day they were led by the cloud. And they picked up and packed up their tent accordingly and followed wherever God led them during those 40 years in the wilderness. This was the same spirit that St. Peter showed when he responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? He showed that to, his, to the disciples, our Lord was more precious to them than anything else in the world or anyone else. And there was nothing better than being with God. Even if something is difficult to understand, we trust in him like a weaned child with his mother is our soul within us. Second, St. Peter responded that they have believed and known. Not known and believed, but believed and then he knew that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was his faith that came first and then his knowledge came after that. And not vice versa. Some people mix it, right? They think 
that through knowledge and through reading and through uh, understanding with our puny little minds the great mysteries that God has unfolded in the universe and even about himself, um, that we can come to the knowledge of truth. Of course, we can grow in wisdom and understanding. That is always encouraged by Scripture and by our Lord himself. But we have to know that faith comes first. We, when we're faithful and we read these things, we, we even grow much more. So it's within this faith and trust that St. Peter and indeed all the believers that follow Christ even to this day grow in true understanding and experience with God. It is a question of faith when we approach the Eucharist. It is a question of faith. There was another time when the apostles asked the Lord to increase their faith. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Our Lord didn't say, well, go and read more books and understand through intellectual speculation uh, and get faith that way. Just go and read more. He didn't say that. But he says, gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will, have, you will eat and drink. At the request of more faith, of the, the, as the apostles requested more faith, our Lord gives them a call to action. He doesn't just give them a, a call to lethargy and say, I'll give you faith. Uh, but he says, a call to action. And so that action spurs God's grace to, to receive the faith, because of course faith is a gift. Uh, but he gives them that call to action, a call to service, and then they will increase in their faith. It's a call to trust and walk with God, that they will increase in faith in that way. It's by taking communion first that we increase in faith. It's not we understand first and then we approach. We take communion and then we begin to understand. It's by abiding in his light that we see light. Faith first, then understanding. Faith comes first and then we approach understanding. And what an understanding we shall receive. We receive understanding that is even beyond what we imagine. Both in this life and of course in the world to come. As St. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know. I'll end it with a story of faith, uh, you know, that how faith comes before understanding. This is kind of a comical story, but I love this story that uh, one of the fathers told. Uh, there was a servant who traveled to a poor area to help in the service. So he traveled a long way and um, he was going to talk at one of their meetings and then go spend the night at the priest's house. And so during the meeting, he gave a talk about faith, the power of the cross of our Lord and invoking the name of Jesus Christ and how much powerful that is. And with it, the servant said, you can bind any evil that they, and any evil will become powerless in the name of Jesus Christ and in the sign of his cross. And he said, he told the, uh, the people he was talking to, you just say in the name of Jesus Christ, you are bound and every evil will be bound in front of you and become helpless. So after the meeting, the servant left uh, to spend the night at the priest's house since he was visiting. Later that evening, a thief broke into one of the people who were um, uh, in the present there was a widow. So she went home after the meeting. And later that night, a thief broke in while she was uh, in, in her house. Um, she responded. Um, so the, uh, she, when, when that thief came in and broke in the house, the widow, of course, became alarmed at it, and she said the same, but she remembered what the servant said in faith. So she grabbed her cross and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are bound to the thief. And the thief stood there bound and couldn't move standing there in, in his place. Uh, he begged the widow in fear. He says, let me go, let me go, and I won't hurt you. Just let me go and I'll, I'll leave. She responded, well, the servant only told me how to bind. He didn't tell me how to unbind. So, so she ran out of the house and goes to the priest's house 
and asked the priest if she can see the servant. The priest says, well, he's asleep right now. And the widow insisted, hey, this is an emergency. It's urgent. Please wake him up. So he wakes up and they both go to the, uh, the house of uh, the widow and they saw the thief standing there unable to move. And after asking what happened, she explained what happened and how she said exactly what the servant said and called upon the name of Jesus Christ. So both the priest and the servant were in amazement at the simple yet high level of faith of this uh, simple widow. And she and the widow's asking, what should I do? And, and they're like, you're asking us, you know, uh, say the same thing in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, you are unbound. So she said that and the thief uh, got his mobility back and he ran out of the ran out of the house. So God give us this type of faith, this faith that comes through actually experiencing Him in our lives, the faith that comes uh, that is simple and yet powerful and that opens the doors to so much understanding and that we may grow in that understanding, that we may gain that spiritual knowledge of Him who is wonderful and gives Himself to us as nourishment on the altar unto eternal life. To Him be glory forever. Amen.